Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is how to build a successful freight brokerage with my friend Joe Chandler. Joe has been there, done that, got the hat. Very interesting guy. Joe is the president and COO of SPI Logistics, one of the top logistics firms in North America, boasting a robust network of 65 offices and over 54,000 carriers across Canada and the U.S. SPI has been around for over 40 years, and they have a very innovative agent program. So if you're a freight broker looking to partner with one of the industry leaders, listen up. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tomorrow. Website is tomorrow.io. Tomorrow has developed a weather intelligence and climate security platform that is custom built to help logistics and transportation companies to reduce the impact of weather on their operations. The cost of weather-related accidents, delays, inventory damage, service failures, hours of service problems, they're enormous. But what can we do? We can't change the weather. But we can do a better job of planning around the weather. And that's exactly what they do for you over at Tomorrow I.O. They have their own satellites. This is the next generation of weather forecasting. Check them out at Tomorrow I.O. I will put a link in the show notes so you can reach out and talk to them. So how's it going, Joe? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you today? Doing great, Joe. Please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. I happen to be traveling. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia today, but my name is Joe Chandler. I'm president and chief operating officer of SPI Logistics. Very nice. So what does SPI Logistics do? Well, we're the best freight brokerage in North America. We're a transportation network of about 60 offices located across the United States and Canada. We do about $200 million U.S. in business been in business 45 years this year. We've done the Transport Topics Top 100 for six years in a row. And I've been here for eight years this month. So we've got a lot to celebrate at SPI. Very nice. Very nice. So you mentioned U.S. and Canada. So not everybody does that. I get a lot of lately people not, not going into uh, Canada. The, I, I, I'm in Detroit, so it makes sense that um, we go to Canada, but not everybody does. <laughs> no. Well, we started in Vancouver, Canada. That's our headquarters. I was uh, living and working at uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. area at the time I got the opportunity to go to work with SPI and moved across the continent and across the border to work with such a fantastic group of people. Very nice, very nice. So do you guys, you mentioned 60 offices. Now, are those independent agents? Are those company-owned? What's the story on that? Yeah, those are independent contractors. And so we, we operate on the agent model. And we think we've got the best in the industry. And I think our customers believe the same thing. Yep. And before we hit record, we're talking about this is right now, if you and I had to go start a freight brokerage, and I know you start freight brokerages basically every day, but if you and I were going to go do that and you didn't have that relationship with SPI, we would be going looking for somebody to help be our, our partner. And 
I say this all the time on the podcast. This is an industry that is naturally partners. If you are a freight broker, you have a technology partner. You have all these carrier partners. And it makes sense to me that rather than go start from scratch and build your own back office, your own tech, go get a partner. It makes just so much sense to me. Well, we would say the same thing. And all of our agents have already done that. But there's a a universe of 20,000 licensed brokers that are out there operating on their own that the smaller ones at least would do well to find a partner like SPI. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. And And I am not the expert, but I talk to experts like you. But my own sense is that in 20 years, there will be fewer freight brokers and fewer companies, maybe, maybe not, but definitely fewer people because the technology is getting better and better. So a freight broker who might manage 30 shipments uh, a week can now manage 3,000 using technology. Is that your same sense? I don't know. The barrier to entry is so small and the the truck driver world is so convinced that this is a, an easy thing to do that every day thousands of them want to become brokers. And so unless the barrier to entry increases, I'm not sure that there aren't going to be, well, I think the, the universe of successful brokers will shrink. But I think there will continue to be small people who join the industry and fail. Yeah. And I think during times like COVID, we see a growth of brokers, I'm guessing. Now, I've heard people say there's 17,000 brokers. I've heard somebody say 22,000. I've heard 20,000. You just quoted 20,000. I would say that we've definitely seen a lot of carriers open their own brokerage in the last decade. And to your point, you have a lot of other people opening these businesses, but the barriers to entry, to your point, we can start over. During COVID, you couldn't get a truck. So maybe you take that call from a a new broker that you never heard of because you are in desperate need of trucks. As soon as COVID ends, a lot of those guys are, I know some, I talk to them, they're struggling. Right. And I think the, you know, the barriers to entry, you you have to have a $75,000 bond, but you can purchase that for a very small amount of money. The expenses required in gaining your your MC number, DOT certification are small. But the reality is that it it takes a lot of money to finance your receivables. And the if you don't have that investment, then you're automatically going to give away a large percentage of your revenue because you're you're factoring your receivables. And so there's just a a great advantage to somebody going with with a company that's already figured all of that out and has the financing, has the financial wherewithal to support your working capital, which is what we do uh, and other agent-based companies do for our agent. Yep. I would also say that another good reason they partner up these days is Technology is super important. You don't want to develop your own. Now you can go buy it off the shelf, but that that's a project all by itself. And then there are always new things that you have to buy related to technology. So it's not always easy to say, oh, I, I selected this 
technology and we're just going to roll with it. By the way, I managed a little 3PL. In the five years that I was the general manager COO, we had five different TMS systems, transportation management systems. And it felt like it was a constant implementation. And and by the way, each time we're like, we don't want to make this move. We don't want to do this, but we felt like we had to. And when you're a smaller company, it would blow up the operations. In fact, I w- I'm a big KPI guy. And as I would re- review the numbers with the owner, he would say, what happened this week? You know, mean fall downs. And I would say, you know what happened that week? And he'd say, this was an implementation week. And my guys were not doing what they normally do. Painful, painful for a small company to deal with tech. Well, prior to uh, joining SPI, I was a turnaround consultant and in the transportation industry. And m- many, many of my clients failed or ended up needing a turnaround because they had failed a software conversion. It's a difficult thing to do. And if you're, if you're not very experienced, it's almost impossible to get it right. Oh God. Yeah. There's always, there's always something wrong with that. Well, that's a whole nother podcast, the problem with tech. And by the way, we've come so far. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but it's still can, to your point, drive you into a turnaround situation. You've exp- <laughs> that's how you used to make your living. So you understand that. So let's talk a little bit about that career. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined SPI. Well, I was born in Laredo, Texas. Uh, my family moved to East Texas when I was young. And then uh, about the time I started school, they moved to San Antonio, Texas. I went to uh, Texas A&M University on an nice. Army scholarship and thought I was going to be a career military officer, but uh, somehow ended up in transportation like uh, three generations of my family before me had done. And, you know, I thought my father had a boring job. I thought he just worked at a desk. He worked for a trucking company and I didn't want to do that. And before too long, I, I ended up doing the same thing. I had loaded trucks as a as a young man and I knew for sure I didn't want to do that. And so I started out with a small LTL company and then went to a larger carrier group. We had uh, LTL carriers as well as truckload carriers, bulk, uh, flatbed, and then moved to a uh, refrigerated truckload carrier and then started consulting. And because I had, in the course of my history, held every executive job other than vice president of sales, it made me uh, able to go in as an individual and and speak to every different department of uh, of a trucking company. And on several occasions, the my clients hired me to step in and run their businesses for a while. And then finally, uh, so I've worked for a lot of companies and had great great companies with bad ownership, and finally found a great company with great ownership and a permanent home here at SPI Logistics. So you've had a great career. What made you join SPI? I mean, you had options. You could have gone a lot of different places. Why? Because I know you probably suspected they had great ownership, but how did you know that? What was the the thing that said, yes, this is the place for me? 
Well, I didn't just suspect it. I I knew Mitch Helton. We had been working together for a little over a year. He wasn't a turnaround, but we had joint projects together. So I knew him. And I also knew that his uh, longtime partner, who was the president of the company, wanted to retire from day-to-day management and just concentrate on sales. And he's an outstanding salesperson. So Jim Taggart stepped down from president and I moved in and took that role. And Jim is now one of our, our top salespeople in the company still. So when you say salesperson, is that selling, bringing agents on board or is that more, do you guys also manage freight yourself? with? No, no, he has his own customers. And so he's a heavy haul genius. And so he likes big and ugly (laughs) stuff to to move across country. And uh, he's just concentrating on that entirely now. Excellent. Excellent. So I always have to ask this. When So you guys are a, uh, a Canadian company, but you have brokers in U.S. and Canada? We do. In fact, 90, 90% of our revenue is generated in the United States. So it might be a, a Canadian agent that is dispatching freight within the United States, or it might be a U.S. agent that's dispatching in the United States. But currently, our for our last complete fiscal year, our largest agent was Canadian. Our second largest agent and third largest agents were U.S. agents. Yep. Well, it makes and this year it's the reverse. Our largest agent is U.S. and second largest is Canadian. <laughs> it's, um, well, I'm sure they're both doing well. I'm not worried for either one. But um, I'm in the Detroit metro area and I grew up, I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, and which is right next to Detroit. And I grew up going back and forth. I played hockey in Canada every Saturday morning. Uh, we had practices over there because that's where we, the ice time was a premium. It's, we would play there and I, I never really saw it as that different. And then when I started working in automotive, you have so many Canadians who cross the border every day to work in Detroit. And then same vice versa. I had a ton of friends who worked at Windsor assembly plant doing the minivans over there and lots of great care, uh, lots of great trucking companies make those trips every single day. So it's, it's normal if you're in in a border area and you mentioned you grew up in Laredo, that's a border town too. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any place on earth that has as much traffic as probably Laredo, right? No, I think it's the number one port of entry for the United States. And Unlike Canada, you know, when I was born, they used to call Laredo one city divided by a river. But uh, with the cartels now, it's it's become a different world and there's not as much back and forth among the citizens of Laredo. However, you know, Canada, although for people like you and I who live on the border, it's it's a simple deal to cross. Right. For most shippers, it's very mysterious. And SPI is, you know, we've solved that for them. We make it just incredibly simple for people to move business across the border. Yep. Yep. And it's funny, just before COVID, I was doing a little project. Somebody, um, a company in Europe said, would you help us open a 3PL in Canada? And I was like, yeah, it's probably going to be in Toronto. I can tell you that. Which And I said, the problem you have is with Canada is you have a big population on one side of the country and a big population on the other side of the country, nothing in the middle. <laughs> but when I was talking to him, I said, 
well, where's your 3PL here in the States? And he said, in Ohio. And I was like, oh, so you're going to have another, you know, another warehouse like eight hours away. And I said, I would just try and, I would try and manage it from this warehouse. And they're like, we really want, yeah, there was a, some tariff issues. And I was like, I think you work around those. And I feel like we're going to get better and better. I think warehousing is going to drive us to make even even more favorable laws about crossing the border. Because it makes no sense to say, oh, I have a, a warehouse in Detroit that can't service Windsor. It makes no sense. And we're going to have to get to that place. I know we're getting, we're probably, that's probably the best border in in history, but we can do better. I agree. And I think we made a lot of progress with the Canada-US-Mexico agreement. That, that's solved after a lot 2. of the issues that we were dealing with. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. All right, Joe. So I want to switch gears. We wanted to talk before we hit record, we were talking about what we want to talk about. And we said how to build a successful freight brokerage was the topic. And we have six points and I'm sure we could talk about these for the next eight hours with you because you do this every day, how to create successful freight brokerages. But let's just talk about these six. So what's the first thing a successful freight brokerage needs? Well, you got to have customers, and the and when we talked about those small guys that are truck drivers now and they want to become freight brokers, they they don't realize how difficult it is to get customers to maintain customers, and but all business, you know, if you're not growing, you're you're dying, and growing is through customers. So, customers number one. Yep. So that means I got to get sales. And I've said this many times on the podcast, but I'll say it one more time. I get a lot of phone calls from trucking companies and they say to me, Joe, we just want good shipper freight, which is their way of saying, I don't want to go through brokerages. And I think I don't have any stats on this, but I think we've seen actual more freight going through brokers and 3PLs in recent years. And So I think a lot of those carriers were hoping, hey, the internet's going to let us cut those guys out of the equation because they're taking all the money. And what I always say to them is, what's your website? And they'll give it to me and I'll look and I'll go, yep, this website's not attracting anything for you. And I said, how many sales guys you have? And they all say, well, it's a tight margin business. So, you know, I do the sales, but I also drive. And there's no shame in any of this. It's just the way it is. And I would always say those freight brokers are your sales guys. They've invested in the technology, maybe even marketing and a sales team that you haven't. And I, I get you want more money and you want to cut them out of the deal. But the only way to cut them out of the deal is to say, I will do the sales and marketing. Well, and there are two, we perform an essential function for two ends of this spectrum. First of all, for the shippers. A shipper, if they if they're smart, they're not maintaining this database of 50,000 carriers like we are. They're not vetting those carriers. They've got a few core carriers that they deal with. And then when it when it's hard to find a carrier, then they they rely on the experts. They they rely on us. And some of them outsource the whole shooting match to us, which we like, of course. The and then from the carriers, those carriers that are you know, one to 50 trucks, they don't have enough business to justify the kind of sales force that's necessary 
to keep those trucks busy. And we perform that function for them. So we're, we're working on both the shipper end as well as the carrier end. And we perform an essential part. And yes, as you mentioned, our concentration of the uh, overall market is growing every year as an industry. Yep. It's, it's an interesting thing because right now we, I, I, I talk to carriers a lot. I, I go for a walk in the morning and there's a tractor supply not too far from my house and there's drivers always sitting out there and I talk to them. And a lot of them complain about the pay right now. And I do think we all want to see drivers get more pay. This all, everybody I talk to, including me, we're on the backs of drivers and warehouse workers and port workers, and we need to figure out how to make more pay. But what also happens, I was explaining this to a friend over the weekend, is people don't understand their costs, and so they come in low. <laughs> and I said, that's carriers do that, and then the brokers do that, and then as a result, nobody's getting paid. So in the middle, freight broker says, I'm going broke. And meanwhile, the carrier is like, I'm going broke. He said, guys, you're 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 hurting yourselves, but also I understand why they do it, but it's also drags you down. And the best freight brokers are more efficient. They're able to do more with less. And that's because they have the tech and they have the operational expertise, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. And uh, if you look at ATRI, the Transportation Research Institute just published its annual report that showed that the cost per mile for a trucker was $1.50 something. And you look at the daily or weekly reports that we get from various industry sources, says that excluding fuel, the price is $1.50 something. So on average, half of the half of the people are are losing money. On average, the industry is is breaking even. They're just running around for the experience. Uh, they're not making any money. Yeah. A buddy of mine, I won't mention his name. He's at Redwood now, but he was doing the same work you were with Turnaround and it was an LTL company. He said, he goes, I, I told the owner of the company, yeah, I want you to run out and tape a $50 bill on every truck as it leaves the terminal today, <laughs> because that's what it's costing <laughs> you. And I'm from automotive. I can tell you this. My own experience is that it's really easy to miss costs. Automotive is a very tight margin business. And also just like trucking, it's really easy not to have a handle on your costs. And then at the end of the year go, God, I thought we were making money. It says we're making money, but somehow we're not making money. <laughs> and because they don't know their costs, they underbid the job. They just, they get, it becomes a, you know, an auction. I'll do it for I'll do it for dollar forty mile. Well, I'll do it for dollar thirty-five, and and they should be holding their their ground and saying, "I'm not going any lower." And as a result, the overall industry pricing drops, and until we end up with a shortage of trucks, as we had a year and a half ago, the pricing is going to stay low. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a vicious cycle. By the way, I, I had my friends from Ruan Trucking on that so long ago, Vice President of Safety, Blake Romas. And one of the things he says, we are never the lowest price. He says, are we the best? We think we are. Are we the safest? We've got a lot of awards to prove that. We got the first safety program in, in trucking 
back dating back to the 40s. And he said, he goes, so we end up working with people who share our values. And and by the way, this, that's a painful thing to hear if you're trying to sell more. It's like that we're never going to be the lowest price, but but we but we we have the same values, Joe. So you should work with me. It's it means you have to work a lot harder in sales to find somebody who isn't looking for the cheapest cheapest carrier that is. And by the way, before we hit record, we were talking about double brokerage. We we're talking about all kind of the scam that's going on in this business. That's us chasing the low price as usual. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. That's how you get sucked into that. And the, uh, but you have to provide a higher level of service to demand those higher prices. And you have to go after those customers who value that additional service. So there, there are commodities out there that are intrinsically so, so cheap that you can't put a big transportation bill on top of it. Those are the customers that are never going to pay the higher prices. But if you have a high value commodity or a commodity that's service sensitive, then those customers, if they're smart, are willing to pay more for the guarantee of great service. And those are the people we go after. Yeah. So the number one thing I need to do to create that successful freight brokerage is I need to sales. We just talked about that. Next, what's the number two thing I need to do to be successful? As a <laughs> well, you better better find some trucks to haul that freight for you. <laughs> so a good quality carrier network is important. So you enroll carriers, and in our case, we you know we put them through a an intense screening process to make sure that they have a good safety rating, that they have adequate insurance. They don't have any negative reviews online that, and that they're not pretending to be a carrier, <laughs> that they're not known for double brokering. So we purchase outside services like Carrier 411 and like Highway and, and like RMIS and things that allow us to thoroughly vet the carriers and make sure that they're quality. And then we're constantly recruiting. We have a... Uh, director of carrier development and his job is to go out and and find good quality carriers to haul the freight that our agents are finding. Yep. And I got to tell you, for a short stint, I worked at a trucking company and I like these guys very much. And I remember I'd been selling 3PL services and I remember, I don't know, a few weeks in, they said, I was talking to the vice president over there. He said, how's it going? I go, oh, great. I'm filling out this carrier application and he goes for what well they said if they want to get me part of their network he goes what lanes are they going to give us i go i don't know i got to get part of the network first he goes no 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 he goes joe you can fill those out all day every day i was like well yeah that's that's he goes you got to get the lanes first then you want to create that paperwork i go well you putting the cart before the horse he goes he goes, these guys love to say we got 30,000 carriers. And so I started saying to the these companies, they say, oh, yeah, we got all this freight, blah, blah, blah. And they'd say, we got 30,000 carriers. I said, and then after a while, I started saying, how many checks did you write last month? A <laughs> hundred. Okay. So am I going to be one of those 29,900 who didn't get a check from you? <laughs> and so the reason I bring that up is... If you're working with a company like SPI that has 
freight not only in the U.S. but also in Canada and has quite a quite a volume, you got a good chance of getting some business as opposed to filling out that carrier application for, <laughs> for a broker who isn't bringing me anything. Right. Absolutely. And that's the challenge because I tell you, I wasted a lot of time on that stuff. And I've heard people say that there's a fatigue among carriers after a while because they do, they, they got enough problems going on. Joining another network that doesn't bring you business is a loss. That's how you don't make money. We talked about how difficult it is. That's one for me. That's probably one of the costs they don't even understand that they have, which is maintaining relationships that don't bring me bring me any money. Well, most of our carriers have been offered a load first, and the reason they were offered a load is because they're in an unusual place. They mistakenly went someplace. There's no freight, but we happen to have found a customer there, and they're the loan truck in the area for that day. But We've simplified through technology and the internet the uh, signing up process, so that if you if you know your MC number and you have a few bits of information about your company that we can verify, it's very simple. Now the guy you're talking about, that's the owner and the driver. You know his corporate name may be something that he's forgotten and XYZ corporation. And, but the side of his truck says something different. And so we've had some people that have a little bit of a difficulty, but for the most part, it's a very simple process. Yep. So we talked about sales. We talked about building that carrier. Network. By the way, I've said this many, many times to people who call me on the phone. They say, I'm going to start a freight brokerage. And I say, so you're going to go get your own technology. You're going to go get your own carrier network. You're like, yeah, I, I know how to build a carrier network. I said, I'm assuming you do, but why do it? Somebody already did it. it it's, it's, I mean, it's like right now, if I wanted to have pizza for lunch, uh, yeah, I guess I could go to the grocery store and buy all the ingredients and probably be healthier for me. But it's also going to be an, at least an hour or two of my effort as opposed to <laughs> calling Domino's and saying, you know where I live, get it over here. <laughs> right. Anyway, so after sales, after building that carry network, what, and I shouldn't say not just building that carry network, taking care of that carry network. There's care and feeding of that relationship. And if you don't have enough freight, it doesn't matter how nice you are to them. <laughs> so what's next? Well, you're going to need some money. So either you need your savings or you need to get some outside investment. Uh, you need to get financing, factoring, whatever. And then, you know, another important part of the your overall financial health is that you're properly insured. So... You know, all of those things. And again, this is a whole lot cheaper if you just join a network like SPI. So for the price of factoring independently, you'll get the TMS, you'll get you'll get the carrier network, you'll get your financing, you'll get you'll get a name, you'll get our credit rating, you'll get a reputation for paying promptly that'll want that'll generate carriers wanting to run for you. Yep. Yep. And by the way, um, my own story of factoring. It wasn't an, uh, it was my dad owned a small engineering business. And I remember we had fortune 500 automotive companies as customers. And 
we had bank loans and we had engineers and designers, automotive designers, they're all very expensive working for us and we would never get paid on time. And thumbing through Sports Illustrated and I saw this thing and it said, sell your receivables. And I was like, oh yeah, who's going to buy our receivables? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then and then I, I started looking into it and, and this is pre-internet. I was young and I called and I said, told them my problem. They go, well, we won't work with you, but we can recommend somebody. And I remember I told my dad, I don't know that I've ever said anything that made my dad so happy. We were delirious and we went and we were able to make payroll. And my dad's like, this is fantastic. And then I don't know, six months in, my dad says, you know, I know a bookie (laughs) and uh, he would lend us the money, I think probably for cheaper. And I was like, yeah, but I, I don't want to get my ass beat if I don't pay him back. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I know him. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't want that. And I, he goes, I don't think I want that either. But it gets, lets you know how much factoring costs <laughs> more than the bookie. Yeah, factoring is uh, you get your money right away, but golly, is it expensive. Yeah, it drives, it, it, it drives this business, though. It's an enormous, enormous part of this business. I mean, so when we talk about not paying carriers enough, and we all know that that's a problem, drivers aren't getting paid enough. And then we know a lot of brokers are losing a lot of their paycheck to factoring. It's a huge problem for a business that says money's tight, margins are tight. We spend a lot on factoring. We do. And as an industry now, SPI doesn't rely on factoring. So and our people don't have to rely on factoring. We pay the carriers and uh, we pay the agents and we collect the money when we collect the money. But uh, that that cash flow responsibility is on us, not on them. Yeah, nice. So let me understand this for a sec. When you say you manage this, for people who don't understand the agency model, explain how this works. So let's just say I'm an agent and I found a customer and I I... I got my first customer. I'm going to make 400 bucks on this and cost the carrier cost 1500. Now how does how does this work? Well, first of all, we approve the credit on the customer. So we we check out your customer and make sure they're creditable. And if we extend credit to the customer, then that's that's on us from now on. We we invoice the customer, we collect from the customer. We take all of that administrative work away from the agents so that all they have to worry about is operations and sales. And we pay the carrier when they want to be paid. So they can be paid at 30 days at the full amount. But if they want quick pay, then they take a 2% haircut to be paid overnight or a 1% haircut to be paid at the end of the week. And then the agent receives their commission at the end of the week also. Yeah, that's nice because that, so I could start that business and I don't have to be going broke. I don't have to explain to my spouse why, why there's no paycheck coming in this week. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that, that is a real concern. And you don't have to call up your customers and find out that the check is in the mail, maybe, or maybe not all of the things that, that are involved in collection or if the you know if we grant credit and that that shipper goes bankrupt before we get paid, 
there's no penalty to the agent. We granted the credit. That's on us. Ah, that's nice. Now, what if there's double brokering? Because you mentioned that being a big concern. Am I on the hook for that? The Well, it depends on whether or not you made the mistake. So any agent negligence is chargeable back to the agent. And I'm sure other companies have different policies. But as long as there's no negligence involved, it's on us. If we approve the carrier and they they turned around and double brokered it and there's some issue, you know, perhaps the, perhaps the customer stole the, you know, it was brokered to somebody who stole the freight. You know, that's our problem. We approved that carrier that did the double brokering, but we've spent so much money. We're, we're catching them pretty quickly now, but you know, those criminals are out there working hard. Well, that's um, a risk though, that I don't have to shoulder, which I like. If if you say, if I use your carrier network and I follow the processes that SBI has given me, I've just reduced my risk and I'm getting paid at the end of the week. So hallelujah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, you could make a mistake that could cost you a hundred thousand dollars because you gave it to. I've heard these for that double brokering. Well, but first up, explain what double brokering is for people who haven't had to endure that. Well, double brokering is when you tender it to a carrier and instead of hauling it themselves, they broker it to another carrier to handle it. Now, frequently, all they've done is take a cut themselves. So they've expanded their reach. They they have two trucks and they're, they're hauling 10 loads a day. So they're they're multiplying their revenue they're taking these the fact that they have operating authority to get your freight away but they're really going to broker it without your permission the, that's one problem in many cases that in most cases that freight actually gets delivered and in a lot of cases you'll you'll never know that it was handled by another carrier dodged a bullet on that one but the other issue that we have now is Somebody who doesn't have any trucks is taking that is taking that business and they're brokering it to people who are not being vetted by us. You know, we have our extensive vetting process. So they're giving that business to somebody who doesn't meet our standards. And sometimes that person is doing it with the intent of stealing the freight. And it was a small problem. A year ago, it's a gigantic problem today. I've I've heard that people are also able to get somebody else's MC number and then they impersonate a carrier. And then these things end up, you know, to your point being ransom where they say, hey, we got your $80,000 worth of electronics. If you want it back, you got to pay us this much. So we had one recently where there was a, a person named Chow at abc at gmail.com. And so what they did is they they put chow.abc.gmail.com. And so everybody knew they were supposed to be talking to Chow. And this email looked like it belonged to Chow, but it was fictitious altogether. And so they impersonated a carrier, you know, Took off with the freight. Yeah, so I want to take a quick time out to talk to small parcel shippers. 
I'm talking to you e-commerce sellers and the three PLs who serve them. I'm talking to you retailers. We got some great news this week. UPS is not going on strike, which is fantastic news for all of us, for the economy. The bad news is there's going to be a double-digit rate hike somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 to 12%, according to experts. I just saw an article in FreightWaves about it. But what choice do you have? UPS and FedEx are the only game in town. Until now, Tusk Logistics, that's T-U-S-K Logistics, is a national network of the best regional small parcel carriers. Yes, I said national. Tusk will save you money, up to 40% in some cases. They have great pre-negotiated rates with the best small parcel carriers in the country. Tusk will also provide you proactive support and easy implementation because it's probably already integrated with your technology. Check them out at tusklogistics.com. And when you get there, click the Get Started button. Do yourself a big favor, save some money, go to Tusk Logistics. So getting back to it, me as a a small freight broker, and that's what you're going to start off as a small freight broker. You can't start off as a big one. I can't can't shoulder these risks. I I don't have the expertise or the technology to, to catch it, but also I can't afford to pay for it. These are horrible no. things that, that this is this is a little bit of the downside of small freight brokers if somebody's working with one. Yeah, this is a, you know, there's a chapter seven event waiting around the corner for every one of these small operators. And there are thousands of small standalone brokerages that could eliminate the risk. And by coming on with somebody like SPI. Yep. So let me ask another question. It's, this is uh, something I always wonder. Let's just say I'm a tr- uh, trucking company. I got 10 trucks and I'm driving one of my own sometimes. So I've got some drivers who work for me. And then I say, you know what? I want to grow as a broker also. Do you have Do you have customers like, do you have agents who own some trucks? We do have a couple of agents that uh, have their own fleets. And, you know, when I was a turnaround consultant, every carrier that I went into, I recommended that they obtain their own brokerage authority because it gave them a way to expand their revenues without any additional capital expenditure. The, uh, in our case, you know, it would require a co-broker agreement for us to give or receive freight to them, which they are then going to broker. And we typically don't do that, especially now, because there are so many available carriers. We only give freight to carriers that are actually going to move the freight. However, we do take business from other brokers who are having difficulty locating trucks. So we have co-broker agreements with them. Yeah, that is that is an interesting thing. Because when I was selling 3PL service, I worked at a non-asset-based company. We did mostly less than truckload, but we did some truckload also. And then I went to a carrier. And when I was at the carrier, I was also doing sales. When you work at a non-asset-based company back then, this was 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I would say, hi, you know, I'd l- like to talk to you about your logistics or whatever, whatever my spiel was that day. And they'd say, do you have your own trucks? And I'd say, no, but, and then click. <laughs> that would be end of conversation. <laughs> and then I went to this carrier and they were hired me to grow their 3PL side. And then they would say, I'd say, I'm from this logistics company, transportation company. And they'd say, do you have your own trucks? I said, oh yeah, we have over 500 trucks. And they're like, oh, okay. 
And what was interesting, I never said this, but I could have said, but we're not going to move any of your freight. All of our <laughs> all of our trucks are busy on dedicated lanes. I'm selling you 3PL services from a trucking company. But I thought that was so interesting because um, I don't think we have that, that uh, bias now because I think people are recognizing that brokers in the middle add some value. You're not just a middleman. But back when I was doing it, it almost felt like every and people would always say, we don't need a middleman. I said, I'm a middleman who's going to save you money. I mean, so that's not exactly a middleman. Well, I think that the there is still a bias. There are a number of shippers that won't give you freight if you don't have your own trucks. And so we're excluded from those, but we don't stop talking to them. We continue to try to convince them that if you're talking about a trucking company, the trucking company is worried about how to take care of that truck. And we're interested in how to take care of that shipment. And so our focus is more on providing the proper service, not in uh, making sure we maximize the revenue per truck. Yep. And I've said this before in my podcast and gains massive generalization, but what, there's no other way to do it. If you're a broker, you invest in sales and marketing, you invest in technology, you're trying to add mid money and you're trying to add value in the middle, right? So you're going to manage that. If you're a carrier, you invest mostly in trucks. It's hard to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to invest in a truck and I'm also going to get, get a full account management team with technology. That, it's not enough money in this business. That's the challenge. That's why we all specialize. Well, one of the one of the phenomenon, phenomena that we saw in COVID during the lockdowns was an intense interest in technology. Well, if you give a manufacturer a million dollars and say, go spend this, they're going to spend it on machinery. And if you give a trucking company a million dollars, they're going to spend that money on trucks. And the brokers are the ones who invested in technology during that period. And so you have both the trucker and the shipper looking for this technology and the place to find it is right here with us brokers. Yes, exactly. And you know, it's interesting. I've had this conversation with shippers many times where they'll say, we want to buy a TMS. And by the way, am I going to discourage you? No, maybe you need a TMS. Maybe you're that company. If you're a certain size, for sure, you might want your own TMS. But I'll say a lot of times, hire a 3PL that's got that TMS. They are experts in it. They're the, going to keep it. They're going to keep it running. You don't just get to buy a TMS and go, cool, now it's going to work. No, you need people to make it work. And you need a whole bunch of techies to keep it going. Right. Anyway, so we've talked about sales. Obviously, we all know we need sales. We talked about building a carrier network and also not just take it's also being able to keep that carrier network busy, given some business. Otherwise, they're not gonna be your carrier network. We talked about investment and why I need a partner that might have some money. <laughs> and then what's the next one you want to talk about? Well, you need operational expertise. And so you have to have the the wherewithal to keep trucks busy. And, you know, a lot of people that, that are showing the interest in this business, that's the one part they already have. You know, they already kind of understand our industry. And so then following that, once you, once you know that, you need technology. And so you mentioned a TMS, but nowadays it's not just a TMS. It's a lot of bolt-on products 
that provide additional services. So you need to be able to store your documents. And so you might use HubTran for that and you need to be able to trace. So you might have MacroPoint or Forkites or some other provider to do that. You want to be able to pay your trucks quickly. And so you might use Triumph Pay as a, a carrier payment system. And you want to be able to vet your carrier. So you would use Highway for that if uh, you're going to be state-of-the-art. And so there are all kinds of ancillary products that use APIs, a term I didn't even know when I came to SPI, but now everybody's using uh, API connectivity. And we hook all of those things together with our, with our base TMS and provide fantastic service to all interested parties, the, the agents themselves, their customers, the carriers, and to our staff members. Yep. I had Don Salvucci Favier on from Green Screens uh, this a few years ago, and she explained this, and I thought it was very interesting. She worked for a lot of different transportation management systems and, over time, and she said, you know, it's probably seven or eight functions, main functions that you have for a TMS. And she said, you work on one for a while and you get it just rolling. Then you work on the next one. You get that, you know, world-class. She said, but by the time you get to the the last piece of it, you're not world-class on the other end of it. And so she said, now when we're developing transportation management systems, all of the newer systems are built to accept all of these ancillary products, as you would say it, I would call them apps, but there's these best in best in class technologies that we don't even know what the next one is, but it has to plug into your TMS. And so right. a TMS is more now like a framework. And I, if anyone who uses like WordPress, I use WordPress as a great example. 30% of the internet is on WordPress sites. Does WordPress do everything perfect? No, but they have like a million things that connect to it, plugins. Right. And that is the way to make things. So when the, and by the way, I won't mention their names and they kind of don't care because they're the big, some of the big names in TMS. They were developed 30 years ago, 25 years ago, and they don't easily adapt to the next technologies. They have to kind of build that in. And, uh, but now our expectations is I'm going to be able to plug in that ancillary product. The next killer app that's going to come out in six months, you guys will plug that into your system. No problem. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's exactly uh, what we did. And, you know, software as a service allowed us to be able to subscribe to the best product that, that allows all these bolts on, but somebody comes along tomorrow with a better deal than we just unplug who we have and stick in somebody else and hook all of our outside products back into it. And, and we're up and going. It's a simple, a simple world. You don't have years of development and, you know, you've, you've got it on your balance sheet and you're amortizing it over 10 years or whatever. And, you know, we're just paying for it as we go. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation that a lot of the turnarounds you participated in in the past started with a great idea about technology. <laughs> yeah, somebody was sold a bill of goods on this great thing is going to revolutionize your business. And 
properly implemented, yes, it would have, but they either had the, the wrong consultants helping them do the implementation or they skipped the whole idea of using outside experts and they blew it on their own. And, you know, a lot of the mapping from one software product to the next was faulty. And it's a huge drain on your business if you if you fail one of those software conversions. Oh God, yeah, it's it's a it's it's painful. I mean, and you know these these days, the technology is where the value is added in a lot of cases. And I've said this before on the podcast. I'll use Warren Buffett's comment. He talked about what happens in a down market when the market goes down, he says, it's like the tide going out. And he says, when the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing a bathing suit. In our business, <laughs> in our business, when the margins go low is when you see who doesn't have the technology that allows them to be super efficient. So when I find out that SPI guys can survive on this margin and I need 20% more to survive, that's a bad thing. I'd rather put that money in my own pocket. Yeah, tough time weed out the amateurs. And the uh, so a lot of amateur truckers who were sucked into the business when it was $2.50 a mile, they're going to get weeded out at $1.50 a mile. And the same is true for brokers. There was a lot of opportunities a year, year and a half ago. And times are tough right now. And particularly if you committed to fixed expenses that required high, high levels of revenue, you're just not going to make it. Yep. So we talked about sales, number one. We talked about carrier networking, number two. Talked about investment, super important. We talked about just now operational expertise and technology being a big piece of that. So what is the last thing that you would recommend for us to be successful as a freight brokerage? Well, you find a partner like SPI. If you're one of those smaller standalone brokers and you know, you're struggling maintaining uh, the cash flow and you, you don't want to have the risk, carriers won't run for you because you don't have the, the reputation. You know, uh, shippers won't go with you because you're a, you're a small operation. You might be working out of your house. You know, affiliate with a large company. You you immediately gain credibility. You, you go from being some guy in his sweatpants at the kitchen table to a local representative of a very large trucking, a uh, very large brokerage firm. And that's, you know, that's a key to success. Whether you're whether you're an existing agent with one of our competitors or whether you're a standalone company, SPI is a company that's dedicated to providing top-notch service. Our people are not treating our agents like they're a number. They, they treat them like they're real people. We, we're family. We know each other. I, I've been to their houses. I've had dinner with them. They've, they've been out with me. The, uh, I know their kids. It's a, you know, it's a family operation. It's a place where people come to find a permanent home. And we provide a lot of services like a bank or an insurance company might provide, but we're not impersonal. We are personal. We provide great customer service, great technology, 
And uh, we believe we are the partner to have, but I, I think like you were mentioning a uh, consolidation in our industry, I think the successful guys are going to need to group together under partnerships like the SPI agent model. Yep. I, I, I agree too. So let me ask this. If I was, let's say I'm a small broker and I say, oh, I listened to you, Joe, on the podcast and I want to, I want to understand more. Are you going to show me how to be successful in this business? Because I will say this as a small business owner, I wish I've met, for most of my career, I've had a boss who told me how to be successful, <laughs> how to make him happy, how to make our customer happy. And I think I know some stuff, but there's freight brokers right now who are struggling and think, well, okay, if I'm going to call you, how are you going to help me not struggle? I mean, are you guys, are you looking at yourselves as kind of, we know the way we'll show you how to be successful. We'll tell you what's working in other markets. Well, we're not trainers. So for we want people that understand the industry and the struggles that they might be having are paying carriers timely, collecting from customers, managing cash flow, getting somebody at the company where they are now to understand their problems, the getting attention of the higher up. So we want experienced brokers with a million dollars or more in revenue per year. And because we're investing so much in technology, we can't support anything smaller than that. But, but for those people who are finding some sort of a difficulty with other issues, we're the, we're the place to come. We're not trainers, though. A lot of people contact us every day and say, can you teach me to be a broker? And the answer is, we could, but we're not going to. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I'm going to summarize this one more time, then I want to get your final thoughts on the topic. So, Joe, we talked about sales. Everyone knows sales is very important to be a successful broker. Developing a carrier network, you can help me with that. Investment, you can help me with that. The operational expertise, you guys have that. You're doing a lot of that back office stuff for me. And the technology, you're going to get that for me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to, I don't have to hire a techie or become a techie. And last but not least, the importance of partnership. I say this all the time on the podcast partner up, <laughs> whether it's your technology <laughs> or your back office. And by the way, that this is this is the norm now. Lean Solutions Group is one of my sponsors. They work with 500 logistics companies. So including the biggest ones. So everybody's doing partnering up, whether it's a technology partner or a workforce optimization partner like Lean this is the norm. This is the norm in our business. So I, I don't understand any reluctance to partner and given what, and by the way, our customers expect it too. They expect you to have big brother helping you out. <laughs> right. Yeah. They want to know that they want to know that we have the ability to pay claims when they exist. Exactly. So give us your final thoughts on the topic. Well, I think we've covered it well. You know, the only thing that I would add to those people who are agents with a competitor or people who are struggling as a standalone broker is not just find a partner, but uh, partner with SPI. Find the right partner. <laughs> That's right. So who's the sweet spot for you guys? Who are you looking to partner with? We're looking for agents or standalone brokers with a million or more dollars in revenue, 15% or more margin rates. And they'll slide right in. We've made transition uh, a simple process. We 
we brought one guy on. He found an emergency. His uh, his incumbent company uh, failed him. And I met him at dinner one night and we had him up and running at seven o'clock in the morning. So uh, <laughs> we've made transition a, a simple process. Now, do they change their name when they join you guys or do they keep their name and uh, just say we're an SPI partner? It's up to them. The Most of them want to piggyback off of the SPI name and reputation. But some of them are, you know, they they formed this, this business a long time ago and they continue to use that business business name when they talk to outsiders. But uh, whenever the they're calling on a customer and the customer says, well, I never heard of that company before, they said, well, we're with SPI. We're, we're, we're an SPI yeah. agency. Yeah. And by the way, right. we see this everywhere. I'm looking at my laptop here. It says powered by Intel. Um, that is half the trucks you see going down the street that say grocery store on the side. That's a trucking company <laughs> that's the trailer right. and it's operated by, you know, one of the large trucking companies. It is the norm in this space. And again, that I think that specialization lets us be so much, so much more successful. Anyway, Joe, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, people who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview? Well, you know, I, I think a great advocate for our industry is the head of the Transportation Intermediaries Association, Ann Ranke. Oh, yeah. And I would talk to her. I will talk to her and I'll tell her Joe Chandler sent me. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, TIA is a great organization. I'm assuming I, I know you guys are members over there. And it's so important because we do have problems in this industry. We have to come together and figure out how to straighten things out. So, Joe, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to SBI Logistics and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. All right. Thank you. So, Joe, what conferences will we see you and the SPI Logistics team at? Well, all of the TIA, Transportation Intermediary Functions, you know, we have a, a fall meeting, Technovations. And then in the spring, we have a Capital Ideas Conference. And then we also go in September to call on Congress. So TI members fly in to visit with uh, Congress people to talk about things that are important to us as an industry. So if you're, if you're there, you'll, you'll see us there. We attend the Transportation Marketing and Sales. Yep, I saw you guys down there. EMSA, yeah. And down in Savannah, wonderful event. BGSA conference. Ben Gordon down there in... Uh, Big event, fantastic information there. Is that Palm Beach or West Palm Beach? Palm Beach. Okay, down in Florida. Their offices are in West Palm Beach. It's not a bad time of year to be down in Florida. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I love what you guys are doing. And I've done a lot of interviews. I think this is the first time I've talked to anybody with the agency model. And it is a winning, it's a winning hand that there are agents out there doing this because when you it started worked. out at the top, it's going to be downhill from here. Well, I've done 400 some interviews, so I'm assuming <laughs> I'm not going to interview a whole lot more. So if it's um, okay, so I won't, I don't think I'll be going downhill anytime soon. Anyway, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate what you do. 
it's uh, necessary necessary in our business because you know we talked about double brokering, we talked about some of the challenges. I think a lot of these problems are at the bottom of the business that has less operational expertise, less technology, less clout. And they they are the ones who are more likely to be tricked into kind of this problem. Yep. And we need the big guys. <laughs> well, we'll help. We'll help you figure it out. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's been a, been a pleasure. Yep. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.